Thank you, music ministry. Thank you, church family, for being faithful to the Lord's house on this holiday weekend. And I just have to tell you that every time I think that we're going to have a down Sunday, in one way or another, the Lord surprises me. And I think on the flip side, every time I think that it's going to be a great Sunday, maybe it's because I've worked extra hard, or maybe I think the message is this, that, or the other thing, the Lord reminds me that it's not about me. Uh, Memorial Day weekend is traditionally a down Sunday. As you look across the auditorium tonight, uh, you can see that we're missing quite a few folks who are on vacation, school let out on Friday, and so folks are in different places. But my, how God moved this morning. We had four souls trust Christ as Savior, walk the aisle, and uh, we're certainly grateful for that. Uh, I wanted to share the names with you. Ashley Harris, my wife, had an opportunity to deal with her and to share Christ with her, and she trusts the Lord. And Ashley's been coming now for several months, and, uh, but today was the day that she stepped out, and we're grateful for that. And then Madison Wilson. Uh, Madison actually lives uh, right here on Tiedemann. She's uh, one of our neighbors, and came today, uh, shared with me after the service that she came when she was a little girl, I think seven or eight years old, and uh, maybe rode the Sunday school bus, but uh, came back, and uh, we're grateful for that, and she trusted Christ as her Savior. And then Brandon Cruz, we mentioned uh, his name at the end of the service, but Adrian had an opportunity to deal with him, and then uh, Mrs. Uh, Jamie Blankenship was dealing with a young girl as well, and so we're thankful for what the Lord did here today, and uh, really just you know marvel at, at uh, just the Lord and His goodness and His faithfulness uh, to us. Uh, though we may have been down a little bit in attendance, I, I must tell you that uh, this afternoon I had an opportunity to have a meal, share a meal with our Spanish ministry, and they had a big day today. I don't exactly know how many they had, but the fellowship was, uh, was full of folks after the service, enjoying a meal together, and then when that was done, I'd been invited, the, the Korean folks, they were meeting out behind the school, and they were having a meal together. It was a great day for the pastor, let me just tell you, as we hop from one place to the next, and, uh, but we had an opportunity to say hello to them. And uh, I should have checked in with the gypsies to see what they were doing today. Maybe they were having a meal too, but I missed out on that. I uh, wanted to mention a couple of additional uh, things to you. Um, Last Sunday, of course, uh, Brother uh, Ron Jackson preached last Sunday night, and uh, he wanted to uh, present this to me in the service. Really, it's not a presentation to me. It's a presentation to the church. But because I was out of town last Sunday evening, uh, he gave it to me this week. And I just wanted you to see it as our church family uh, he's put together a really, really nice um, case here, and um, some of you want, may want to see it after the service. Uh, many of you, perhaps, you've heard in recent days the name of the city Bakhmut, or maybe that's a region in Ukraine. And uh, if you believe the news media, uh, that region has recently just fallen uh, and, uh, to, the, to the Russians. But this uh, took place back in January of this year. There's a picture of Brother Ron with one of the medics there. And uh, they did what is known as a knife exchange. And, uh, and so this is, um, this is the medic's knife there that's a Ukrainian soldier with the Ukrainian military. And Brother Ron has encased it. He's put uh, some information about that, some patches, a picture of him and the medic, as well as a knife. And that'll really is a gift to our church. It'll be my office, but some of you may want to see that after the service tonight. And so we'll leave it up here in the front, and you're more than welcome uh, to come by and, and uh, take a look at it. And it really is just a, a beautiful piece. And so we're grateful uh, for, uh, for that and to be able to highlight that. And certainly it'll be a reminder for us to pray about what's happening there uh, in, uh, in Ukraine. I, I didn't want to share this with our church family this morning, but I thought this was something I could share with you tonight. Uh, I mentioned this morning that we had 37 kindergarten graduates on Wednesday night, and it was, it was quite a time, quite a service, I must tell you. Um, but at some point in the evening, one of those little children let a balloon go in the auditorium. And uh, it was one of those uh, mylar-filled maybe balloons or helium or whatever, and it floated up to the ceiling. 
And, uh, and it remained there until yesterday. And we saw it up there during, during high school graduation, senior graduation, and we thought, is there a way that we could get this down before tomorrow? And my dad and I were having a conversation. He said, you know, I've got a BB gun at home. And he said, if it's okay with you, I might come by this afternoon with that BB gun and shoot that balloon. Lo and behold, a little bit later in the afternoon, I got a text from my dad with a picture of a deflated balloon sitting on one of these pews. And he said, it's down. So I didn't want to share that with our Sunday morning crowd. I wasn't sure how they would handle that, but I would think our Sunday night congregation could handle that just a little bit better. My dad must be quite the marksman. He didn't tell me how many shots it took, so we might want to count some holes in the ceiling here uh, tonight. If you get a little, if you get a little uh, bored with things, that may be something that you can do. Let's take our Bibles together tonight. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. The Gospel of John, chapter number 14 this evening is where we'll be. And uh, I made the mistake of telling you that because it's a holiday weekend and most of you don't have to get up and go to work tomorrow told you this morning that I was going to preach a longer message, and I think some of you, you voted with your feet tonight and uh, didn't decided not to come. No, uh, I, I, I don't think I'm going to preach a longer message tonight. In fact, I'm dealing with a little bit of issues here with my voice, and, and so who knows, maybe it'll be a little bit of a shorter one. But I want you to look with me, if you would, in John chapter number 14, and uh, let's just read the first six verses, if we can, of this particular text. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Really sort of be just a launching point. We'll, we'll preach through the really the, the first 27 verses of this particular text, but again, we're just going to hit on a few things here, so, so don't get too nervous. All right? The Bible says in John 14 and verse number 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also." Whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'd like to preach to you a message that I've entitled tonight, Four Great Gifts. Four Great Gifts. On the night that Christ was to be betrayed and arrested and tried, most of us are aware that he spent time in an upper room with his disciples. They were, they were there together to observe the, the Passover meal. All of, the, all of the gospel accounts cover this night, but none of the gospel accounts give us the depth of insight into the very words that Christ spoke in the upper room with his disciples like the gospel of John does. In fact, several chapters here in this area in which we're looking at deal with what was said on that particular night. And it's pretty obvious as you study the text, as you think of what was to come, that the mood in that room was pretty heavy on that particular evening. Judas had already left to set his betrayal in motion, according to John 13, verses 27 to 30. Jesus had indicated that to, to his disciples that his time left with them was to be very, very brief. Look in verse number 33 of John 13, just one chapter prior. Notice how Jesus puts it in John 13 and verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. So Jesus is getting pretty clear here that the time is short. 
you're going to want to be with me. You're going to look for me, but you're not going to be able to find me because my physical presence is going to be removed from you. And, and of course, you can understand that that was a heavy thing for his disciples to think about. Peter asked, after Jesus made that statement, he asked where Christ was going, and, and then he pledged to follow Christ no matter, no matter what and no matter where. We read of that in John 13, verses 36 and 37. Again, we're just sort of setting the stage that this was a heavy, heavy room. The mood was, was not one of frivolity and laughter, but rather the mood was one of great heaviness and sorrow. And then Jesus told Peter, after he said, listen, I'm going to follow you no matter where you go, and no matter what happens to you, I'm going to be right with you. And Jesus followed that up by telling Peter that before the sun rises tomorrow, Peter, before the sun rises over the horizon the next morning, Peter, you will deny me three times. According to John 13 and verse number 38. So all of this is happening in this upper room. Now I share all of this with you to give you some idea or some context of what the mood in the room was like on that particular night. Christ was leaving them and they were facing this reality head on. It's, it's sort of one of those things where I think Christ had been preparing them for it, but they had missed most of the clues. But now he is being much more clear with them. He is being much more obvious about what is getting ready to happen. And they're beginning to absorb this. They're beginning to, to, to take this reality in and, and to process it. All that they had enjoyed together in their minds, was looking, was looking like it was about to come to an end. And there must have been a sense among them that the, in some respects, the past three and a half years was sort of a waste. I mean, let's just think, let's just think from a human perspective if we can, because that's what the disciples were. They're human beings just like you and I are. And they're facing some of these truths for the very first time. And I, and I just wonder if some of them aren't thinking, you know, well, what was this all about? We left everything behind to follow you, and, and we only got to do that for three and a half years, and now you're going away, and you're not coming back? And where you're going, we, we cannot come, we, we cannot communicate with you, we cannot talk to you, you're not going to be able to talk to us, at least in this literal, physical sense like we've enjoyed. Have you ever, have you ever done something like that? You've, you've, thrown, you've thrown yourself into something believing that whatever it is that you were doing was going to be big, that it was going to be impactful, that it was going to be life-transforming, maybe for you and maybe even for, for others, maybe some bright idea that you had come up with and you're thinking to yourself, if I could just make this thing work. Some of you perhaps have viewed the television program, I think it's called Shark Tank. And the idea of Shark Tank is people come into this room and they pitch this big idea that they've come up with and they're hoping to get investors because they think that this could be a this could be something that goes you know international and it could be a new invention easier way to live life like no one's ever thought of before well I think in some respects the disciples had thought to themselves man we've poured ourselves into this and God has given us some great success and we think this thing is going to get even bigger than it is and now all of a sudden Jesus is looking at them saying hey guys this run is pretty much over for us we're, we're, gonna, we're getting ready to say our, our goodbyes. I'm going away, and where I'm going, you cannot come. I, I, I would just think to myself that this time, the past three and a half years, it had been good for the disciples, but in their minds, it, it, maybe it hadn't changed the world quite like they thought it would. I mean, it's, at one point, they were rolling, right? 
And there were multitudes. There were thousands upon thousands of people that were coming to hear Jesus preach and to see the miracles. But there definitely seems to be a certain line of demarcation in which the crowds began to kind of turn away. And by the time it's all said and done, you come to Acts chapter number 1 and Acts chapter number 2, and you've really got about 120 people. And this massive group, this massive movement has, has sort of dwindled to really not a whole lot. And, 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 and so perhaps the disciples are, are feeling this in some respects. I mean, they've been carrying visions of an earthly kingdom. Um, they, 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 they thought to themselves, you know, that there's going to be a throne at some point in our lifetime. There's going to be a throne, and Jesus is going to sit upon that throne, and we're going to, we're going to be able to sit near him, and we're going to rule and reign alongside King Jesus. And now, now he's telling them that he's going away. And, they, and, and as I'm just reading this text, I'm thinking to myself, they could not have been more disappointed and disheartened. And so that's the context. And you, can't, you, can't, you cannot miss how Jesus Christ, how he, how he senses the doom and gloom that's in the room. He, he's able to read the audience. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a, key, uh, a key necessity if you're going to be a leader, is being able to read your audience. Jesus is looking at his disciples, and it's heavy. And they're down. And, and to, to be honest with you, he must have been a little down as well because of what was waiting for him over the next few days. So sensing all of this, look in John 14 and verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled. He senses the doom and gloom that had enveloped the room and of course, being filled with heaviness himself over what the next few hours and days would hold for him. It seems like Christ attempts to lift the mood by explaining Yes, I am going away. There's no stopping that. There's no changing that. That's the will of the Father. That's the plan that has been set in motion. Yes, I'm going away. But the the, the indication from John chapter number 14 is this. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Which gives us what we find here. Jesus says, I'm going away. But in my place, the Father is going to give you four Great gifts that will be such a help to you, such a blessing to you, and will enable us to move the the whole thing forward, even in a greater way than if I were to stay here myself. What we're leaving for you is going to be more beneficial for you. It's going to be greater for you than if I were to stay here. I know it doesn't sound like that. It doesn't seem like that. That seems totally impossible, but you have to trust me. I'm going away, but I will not leave you comfortless. In fact, at a later point in the, in the text, he says, it is expedient for you that I go away. You know what that means? That means it is the best thing for you that I go away. That's the message of the night. He would leave them with some gifts to enjoy. And I believe these 27 verses convey exactly what those gifts would be. These gifts would encourage them. These gifts would be intensely practical and useful. I mean, I got to thinking about gifts. I, I like to think about gifts. My birthday's next month. I'm thinking about gifts, right? No, we, we do. We, we enjoy opening a gift, opening a present, wondering what just might be on the inside of that package. What, what is it that this person uh, gifted to me? I got to thinking to myself that when we consider gifts, we can usually break them down into two categories. The one category would be the idea of a sentimental gift. The, the presentation I showed you a moment ago, that's a sentimental gift. 
I, I don't suppose that any of us will, in our lifetime, be using that knife for anything. If it gets to that point where we've got to break the glass and use the knife, then we've got bigger problems on our hands than we know what to do with, right? No, that's a, that's a sentimental gift. That's a man that you and I will never meet, but it's a man that's been touched by someone who sent out of our church. Many, many in this church have supported him financially so that he could go and do that work and share the gospel with thousands of soldiers. And so that's just, just a gift from the front lines there in Ukraine, and, and it's sentimental. It, it, may not, it may not have a whole lot of monetary value to us, and we may not really even get a whole lot of physical use out of it, but it's something that we enjoy. It's something that's a blessing to our hearts, something that we can look at and think to ourselves, you know, I had a part in that ministry, and, and that person thought enough of us to send this back to us and to, and, and to, and to, and to thank us for the work that we're trying to accomplish through, through Brother Ron. Sentimental gifts are, again, they're, they're types of things that, you know, when we think about them, they normally bring a smile to our face and, and maybe even a longing to be with the person who gave them to us. Sometimes we think of heirlooms and, you know, a ring that maybe your grandmother has passed to you and your grandma's now with the Lord and, and uh, you'll, you'll never see her again on this side of eternity. But every time you see that ring, you think of her, you, you're reminded of her and the impact that she made upon your life. S- sentimental gifts can be things like a Bible or some jewelry or maybe some handmade item. Uh, again, it may not be something that is of tremendous worth and value to, to everybody else, but to you it means a great deal. So they're sentimental gifts. And then there's practical gifts. These gifts are things that are extremely useful or functional in our daily lives. I think to myself, if you were a carpenter, someone someone might gift you a tool. If you're a preacher, someone might gift you a a, a book on theology or maybe maybe a necktie. That's a lot of times people like to get their pastor a, a tie to wear. If you're a teacher, someone might gift you a nice pen or some decoration for your classroom or maybe some, some book to, uh, to, to help you to grow in the area of teaching. Now, these gifts, again, are things that you could use every day and they would contribute to making your job easier and fulfilling your, me- your mission in life. Now, in a sense, the gifts that Christ promises to his followers in this text can really fall into both categories. The thought of change or the departure of someone close to us can be overwhelmingly sad. And that's what's happening in the lives of the disciples. Whether it be maybe a graduation. You know, sometimes at a graduation, you know, we're, we're celebrating, wonderful, they completed this course. But you look down at mom and dad, and mom and dad are boohooing over there, right? Could be, uh, could be the, uh, the change of life as far as that's concerned. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe it's a, a retirement in which someone is moving away and uh, moving away out of the job force or whatever the case might be. Or it might even be, might even be a, a passing away of, a, of an individual. And each of these can, be, can sometimes be bittersweet. Often in these moments we exchange gifts with the person who is transitioning from one phase of life to the next. And in our text, I think it's interesting that Christ is the one who is moving on he's the one who is transitioning from life down here on this earth back to his father in heaven and yet and yet and yet he is the one who's giving the gifts away you know be like if you were going to a retirement party retirement party i think the expectation is you bring a gift to the retiree and some respects, here's Jesus, and he's not retiring, but he's, he's, he's laying aside his earthly ministry to transition back to his father. And you know what he's saying? He, he's saying, listen, I don't want any gifts from you. In fact, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give some gifts to you. 
Because I understand that my leaving you is troubling to you and it's hard for you to imagine how life is going to go on without me here. But I want you to know something. I'm leaving something with you that will be a help to you. Now what gifts does Christ give to his followers to remind them in a sentimental way of his faithful love for them? What gifts does he give to his followers that will be something that will be intensely practical and useful and functional for them in the days and the years to come and fulfilling and carrying out the mission that he's called them to? Their sad hearts were filled with sorrow. These gifts were meant to bring great joy to them. As in future days, these gifts would enable them to accomplish their mission and fulfill their calling in life. Let me identify them for you four Four great gifts that I find Christ gives to his followers upon his departure. Number one, the first gift is the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven in verses one through six. With troubled hearts filling the room, Christ starts right here. And I can't think of a better place to start, can you? Than with the hope of heaven. The thought of heaven is enough really to lift the most discouraged heart, isn't it? You get into a low place You start to get down about your state in life or some of the things that you're having to deal with, some of the trials that have entered into your life. And let me challenge, let me encourage you, let me encourage you to think about heaven for just a few minutes. Let that that thought just kind of settle over you. Allow you to be transplanted almost to another place and be reminded, because we got lots of folks in this room that have said goodbye to loved ones over the years, and some of you miss them from time to time. Some of you miss them all the time. How do you encourage yourself? How do you strengthen yourself? I'd say think about heaven for a little bit. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house. It's the Father's house. That's what, that's what lifts troubled hearts. That's what encourages those who are discouraged. And notice what Christ tells them about heaven. Number one, he tells them that heaven is wonderful. Heaven is wonderful. We see that in verses one to three. Notice a few things that he points out about heaven. He he specifically noted that heaven is a place of many mansions. Now, um, I'm just like everybody else. I I drive through some nice neighborhoods from time to time, and I can can sort of have a lustful, envious heart when I see some of those homes. I, um, you know, I've been in in some places. Boy, nice we live there. Some of you, you've driven driven along the lakeshore and out towards, you know, Rocky River and Bay Village and Westlake, and you drive along uh, Lakeshore Drive there. I, I don't know if that's what it's called, but you drive along that, that route and you see those homes, and we think to ourselves, wow, must be nice. And then, and then, uh, and then we, have to be, we have to be reminded of reality because with those homes comes big bills, <laughs> right? Huge mortgages, and those homes are a whole lot bigger than our homes, and so you don't want to have a home full of rooms that have no furniture, so not only do you have a bigger mortgage to pay, but now you've also got to go into more debt to buy more furniture, and furniture's not cheap. Furniture's very expensive. And, and, and then, and then let, me, let me just help the ladies out in this room. If, 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 if your home is in a normal sense, those homes need to be cleaned too. And so you, now you got bigger, now you got more, you know, more space to run the vacuum. Your, your vacuum cleaner's going to get more miles on it, and so is your broom, and you know, your dustpan, and all of, those, all of those sorts of things. And so bigger is not always better, but, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we can look at that and say, well, you know, that, that might be true about all those things, but I sure would love to give it a try. You know, it may, it may not be all it's cracked up to be, but I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind living that life for a week or two just to, just to see, you know, try it on for size and see how it works. Jesus, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many 
mansions. It is, it is entirely likely that most of us in this room will never live in a mansion down here. But you know what? That's okay. And here's why that's okay. Because in the Father's house, there's many mansions. And I'll take, I'll take the Father's house with many mansions for all of eternity over one down here for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, when in reality, probably most of the time, it'll just cause me nothing but more headaches and problems and troubles in life. Heaven is wonderful. But he also, he, he also indicated that he was, going, he was going there to make room for them. I mean, that's the implication of the passage. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, let this sink in for just a moment. And likely you've heard this. It's not original with me. But think about this. For 2,000 years, Christ has been preparing a place for his followers. Now, you say, well, what's significant about that? Well, here's what's significant about that. He made this earth in six days. Six days. That's all it took. Evening and morning. First day, second day, third day, sixth day. All the way through. I got to tell you, it's a beautiful world. I've traveled to some incredible places. I've seen some amazing things. Some of you, you you think about vacation season, and we're in that now. And for some of you, vacation season for you is a mountain cabin somewhere. Others of you, it's it's a it's a beach shore somewhere, a house on a beach close to the water, so you can hear the waves and 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 whatever the case, whatever you're. Some of you, it's camping in the woods, or you know uh, what what whatever whatever kind of you know drives you as it, as it were. But we find some we find some rest and relaxation. We find some something beautiful in those places. And God did that in six days. God's been preparing a place for us for 2,000 years. Can you imagine how wonderful, how wonderful heaven's going to be? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 9, but as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But you know, heaven is... It's not only wonderful because it's full of mansions and because it's a prepared place by the Lord who's been preparing it for the last 2,000 years, but heaven is also wonderful because it's the place where God dwells. It's the Father's house. Jesus says it's a place where Jesus is, verse number three, and a place where we can be together with him. Have you ever thought about that first glimpse that you're going to get of Jesus? Some of you have been privileged to meet some important people. You, you've, been in that, you've been in that room when that person comes walking in the door. Maybe you just get a glimpse of their forehead at first, you know, but there's a buzz, right? Hey, there he is. Maybe it's a politician. Maybe it's an athlete. Maybe it's a movie star. You know, who knows? It could be somebody really famous, somebody really wealthy. But have you ever thought, have you ever thought about the first moment that you're going to catch a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ? There he is. There he is. That's what makes heaven wonderful. It's where Jesus is. But you know, heaven is, is, is wonderful, yes, but he also, he also says this. Secondly, he says, heaven is for anyone who believes on the name of Jesus. Isn't that encouraging to know that anybody can go there? It's an exclusive place. It's an exclusive place, meaning that in order to go there, you, you, have, to, you have to do what God tells you. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not exclusive as in, well, you can't go there. You're not, you're not allowed to go there. You're, you're off limits. You, you have no hope of ever going there. No, no. If all of us will just come to the Lord by faith, if we'll believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved and we can spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. Thomas asked the question, how, how are we going to get from there to here, from, from here to there? Jesus' answer was so clear. Jesus said, I am the only way. 
He says, I'm the only truth in heaven. And he says, I'm the only life in heaven. The only way to the Father's house is through his son, Jesus Christ. You don't, have to, you don't have to belong to a certain race of people. You don't have to have a certain IQ. You don't have to identify with a certain political party to go to heaven. No, the hope of heaven is available to anyone, anyone who believes on the name of Jesus. If you're here tonight and, and you're lost, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we would assume that on Sunday night, holiday weekend, most people are saved. But that's a, a, a horrible assumption for us to make. We don't know that. If you're here tonight and you're lost and you've never believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it really, is all, it really is that simple. And heaven can be for you. You can have a prepared place there. You can have an address in heaven tonight before you, before you leave this building. You can be saved tonight and you can have the hope of heaven as a gift from God abiding in your soul. As the disciples were filled with dread at Christ going away, he reminded them that a day was coming, a great day was coming, that they would be together again forever in the Father's house. What gift this must have been for them, and what a reminder that as it, as it kept them going, no doubt, through some difficult days that would come in the future. I'm thinking to myself, the persecution of the church, and the imprisonment of Peter, and John's exile on Patmos. Those days, they would, have, they would weather those storms. They would go through those days be, being reminded of the hope of heaven, that Christ has gone to prepare a place for us, and he's coming back to get us someday, and we're going to be with him forever in a wonderful place. And notice there's a second gift that I find in this text, not only the hope of heaven, the second gift that I believe that Christ leaves his followers with as he is preparing to transition from his earthly life and ministry back to the Father's house. And that second gift, I believe, is found in verses 13 and 14. Would you look with me in verse 13? The Bible says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Here's the second gift, the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Christ says, I'm, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to leave you with a, a very special gift that will be such a help to you in days to come. Not only am I going to give you the hope of heaven that I'm going to the Father's house and, and because I'm going there, I will, I will prepare a place for you and I for sure will come back and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That you trust me completely. You, you know that you can trust me. So trust me on this, that the hope of heaven is yours. We're going to spend eternity together there someday. Christ says, let me give you a second gift. If you'll ask anything in my name, I'll do it. The power of prayer. Jesus reminded them of some of the incredible works he had done among them. He says that in verse number, verse number 12. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do. Well, they would, they would be familiar with some of the works that he had done. I mean, he had healed some people. I mean, he had opened blind eyes. He had he'd even raised some people from the dead. He'd cast out devils out of people. So when he said, the works that I do, they were not unfamiliar with the works that he had done. His messages, his preaching, his way of life. They, they had seen him do all of these things. They'd been eyewitnesses to these things. But notice he says, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now he was telling them that though he was leaving, his works would be repeated, and, and in some cases would actually, they would even surpass, they would, the works that they would do would surpass the works that he had done, even in his absence. Now how could this be? How would this be accomplished? Well, he makes it quite clear that this would be accomplished through the power of prayer. 
And we see that in verses 13 and 14. Now, what are the stipulations to experience power in prayer from Christ's instructions? Let's just look at these two verses. What, what do we have to do if we're going to experience power in prayer? And we talked about this a little bit this morning. And we're going to talk about it a little bit tonight as well. Your prayer life. How is, how is your prayer life tonight? Are you seeing regular answers to prayer? I got to tell you, I got to tell you, well, I don't know if I want to tell. I'm going to tell the story anyways. Just this week, Brother Tom, Brother Tom sent me an email. And he said, uh, he said, hey, you know, we're looking at, you know, Father's Day, and we always try to do something for the dads in, 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 the, uh, in the congregation. And I'm not going to tell you what it was, but he sent, me, he sent me a list of things. What do you think about these, you know? And most of them were like trinket-type little things, you know, and something you, you know, slap a logo on, and, and most of you, you take it home, you slip it in a drunk, junk drawer, and you never see it or use it ever again. And I just responded. I said, listen, I said, I, I want to do something more meaningful. I want to do something more impactful this year. But you know, more meaningful gifts and more impactful gifts cost more. And when you're buying for several hundred, you know, it, it, it can become troublesome in a hurry. But I gave, him, I gave him the name of two things that I thought we should look into. And, and, and he sent me a text the next day. He sent me a text the next day. And he said, you're not going to believe this. Now, I'm, gonna tell you, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want you to be surprised on Father's Day. But it's going to be really cool. I think you're going to really enjoy it. But he said, normally, he said, Pastor, normally, so I looked up a line today, normally these sell for $17.99 a piece. Well, that's out of the budget, right? I mean, that's just, you know, that's just not going to, dads, we love you, we just don't love you that much, right? That's out of the budget. But did, did you know, did you know, so that was on, what day was that by the time? Was that on Tuesday that we emailed about that? Wednesday is when he looked at it. Normally, $17.99. But he said, you're not going to believe this, today they're on sale for 94 cents a piece. Hey, there's power in prayer. Amen? I mean, God answers prayer. So you, you, so you better believe we bought as many of them as we possibly could. We stocked up because, because God, God is good in those little things, those silly, insignificant little things that maybe we don't think a whole lot about. Hey, God, God wants to hear you. God wants to know what's on your heart, what's on your mind. So here are the stipulations to having power in prayer. Number one, number one, you gotta ask. You gotta ask. Look, he says in verse number 13, and whatsoever ye shall ask, that's the starting point. The prerequisite to getting our prayers answered is that we must first pray. You, you can't get a prayer answered until you, until you first pray, until you first ask. Some of you, some of us are sitting around saying, well, God would, God would, God would never answer that prayer. Well, why don't you try him out? Why don't you just see? You know, sometimes my kids will come to me and already they know, they know the answer's no. They know it. I, I can tell by their posture. You know, their hands are in their pockets, you know, and they're kind of wiggling around and, and like, Dad, Dad, I, I, no, no, before, you, before you say no, let, let, me, let, me just, let me just give it to you, you know? And every once in a while, not often, but every once in a while, I want to tell them yes just to surprise them, you know? But, but sometimes aren't we like that with God? Lord, I don't, I, I don't, I don't even think you even care about this. Or maybe we don't even think to pray about it because we're so far out of the habit. But I'm just telling you, listen, if you're going to have power in prayer, you're going to have to first ask. Ask. Listen to what the Bible says. Matthew 7, 7. I think most of these verses will appear on the screen. There it is. Ask. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Some of you, some of you need to start asking. Some of you tonight just need to start seeking. Some of you tonight need to start knocking. Just do it. See what the Lord does. Go to the next verse, would you? 
Look at Matthew 7, 11, same, same, same sermon, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children. And don't let that get you sideways, you, ye then being evil. That just sim- simply means you're, you're a sinner. And yet you got enough sense in your mind that when your children come to you and they ask for something, you know how to give good gifts to them, even though you're a sinner. Hey, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that, what's the next word? Ask. Ask. There it is. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible. Look in Psalm 50 and verse, well, the verse will be up there. And call upon me in the day of trouble. That means ask. I mean, it's not the exact word, but it's there, right? It's the same idea. It's the same thing. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalm 86, 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. I'll give you a little English lesson. Call and ask are basically the same thing. So you've got to ask. One more verse, James. James 4, 2. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not. Why? Because you ask not. So you want to experience power in prayer, you have to ask. But notice, secondly, going back to John chapter number 14, not only must you ask, but you must ask in his name. You see, there's power. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. By invoking the name of Jesus, we are, we are assured of an audience with God. We are identifying ourselves as friends of the Son of God. I get, um, I probably, or I don't know if Clara's here tonight, she's around here somewhere. Clara and I, she's the receptionist, she oversees the info at clevelandbats.org. I bet we probably get five to ten missionary solicitations a week from missionaries wanting support. Most of them, we don't know who they are. We've never met them before, so there's a little couple things we look for, maybe the mission board or the church that they're sent out of. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I'll get a phone call from someone, and they'll say something like this. Hey, I ran into brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, and they gave me your name and your number. You know, I sort of have to listen to that, don't I? Because they're invoking the name of someone that I know and someone that I have a relationship with. Hey, listen, don't, don't, don't go to God in your name or in somebody else. Go to God in the name of Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you tonight, and uh, your, 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 your son, Jesus, told me that I could. Told me, he told me when I come to you to use his name, so I'm going to do that. What I'm going to ask for tonight is in the name of your precious, only beloved son. His name is Jesus. That'll go a long way, don't you suppose? It'll go a long way asking his name. And then notice, thirdly, not only ask and ask in his name, but I think there's a third thing that we find here, and that is this, ask in his name for things that will glorify him. The other day, I had somebody come by my house that's going to do a little bit of a project for me, and, and as he was leaving, I was saying goodbye. It was a beautiful day. I stepped outside to say goodbye to him, and sitting in my driveway was a beautiful, beautiful, like new, red Corvette. It was, I asked him, I said, what year is that? It was a 2003, so it's 20 years old. But I'm telling you, the thing was in pristine shape. And um, I, I liked it. I liked it a whole lot. But you know, I, I can't expect, I can't expect for the Lord to give me a Corvette. I can't expect that. Because how, how, in, in ministry, how would that glorify his name? But here's, here's, what, here's what I can't expect the Lord to do. I can expect the Lord, if I, if I pray for things that are in line with his will, I can expect for him to answer that prayer every single time. What are, some things, what are some things we know, we know God would be glorified in by us asking for them? Salvation of lost sinners. Don't you suppose that would glorify the Lord? A bunch of people came to know Christ as Savior. 
We know for sure that Jesus told his followers to pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So don't you suppose that we probably, we, we already know that that's God's will that we pray for that. So why don't we start praying for that? I'm talking about things that we know will glorify the Lord. How about this? Why don't you, why don't you start praying, Lord, would you, help, would you help my marriage? Would you help my marriage with my spouse to be, to be, to, to be Christ-honoring? Would you, would you help, Lord, for, for it to be a, an adequate representation or picture of your relationship with the church? I suppose, I suppose the Lord would answer that. Why? Because it would glorify his name. I mean, that's the, those are the prerequisites. Look again, verse 13, 14. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So gift number two is power in prayer. Notice thirdly, Notice thirdly, the third gift that he gives. It's not only the hope of heaven, the power of prayer, but notice thirdly, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a gift. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm going to give to you as I go away. Now this, of course, fits in line with our theme, and it's one of the reasons why we're in this text tonight. We've been emphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our lives and in our ministry this year. Would you look at me in verse number 16? And I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now here's what's interesting. He had just told them there's power in prayer. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. And then he says in verse number 16, he says, and guess what? He says, I'm going I'm to pray to the Father as well. Here's what I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray that he gives you another comforter. So he literally puts, puts what he's teaching right to, right, to, right to practice here in this particular text. The Lord was going to be taken from them physically, but he promised to pray. He promised to ask the Father who would not leave them alone, but would send them a comforter who is identified as the Spirit of truth to abide with them forever. And I want you to notice just a couple of things. Number one, notice the Holy Spirit would continue the ministry Christ had begun. They say, where do you find that at? Well, look at a key, key word in verse number 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you, what's the next word? Another. Another. Everything Christ had been to them, and everything Christ had been for them, the Holy Spirit would literally pick up and continue to do. He would be, he would be another. That, that, means, that means like the same. Whatever you've enjoyed with the Lord Jesus Christ being physically with you here on this earth. Hey, don't worry about it, because I'm going to pray to the Father, and he's going to give you another one just like me. That'll be different. You, you won't be visibly able to see him, but he's going to be just, he's going to do the same things that I do. Um, the, the power, the wisdom, the love, the leadership of Christ, all of those things would carry on through the ministry of another, one just like him, in passion, in priority, and in power. Not a thing, listen, not a thing, not a thing would need to be diminished or dissolved. The spirit, listen, the Spirit is every bit as capable as the Son is. Now that's, that's the point. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to give you another comforter, someone like me who has the same power as I do, who has the same authority as I do, who has the same access to the Father as I have. You know, you know we often pine for the days the disciples lived. I'm, I'm talking about walking and talking with Jesus but you know, the truth is, we have the joy and privilege of going through life with one who mirrors Jesus in every way. It's the Holy Spirit of God. He's another comforter. He's, he's, he's the same. He's just, he's just different. He does the same things. He's just not in the exact same form. But he's the same as the Lord Jesus Christ. That, to me, is thrilling. 
The Holy Spirit is given to us. And he would continue the ministry that Christ had begun. But notice, secondly, the Holy Spirit abides with us. In verses 16 and 17, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. What what are you going to get when you get this gift? The Bible says that he may abide with you forever. You know, Christ, confined to his physical body, had to lay aside his omnipresence for a time. We know that. Therefore, therefore, he could only be in one place at a time. If he was in Capernaum, he could not be in Jerusalem. If he was in Nazareth, he couldn't be in Capernaum. If he was on the Sea of Galilee, he couldn't be on dry land. If he was in the Mount of Olives, he couldn't be down in the valley. If he was here, he couldn't be there. You, you get the idea. He had to lay aside his omnipresence. Well, he was confined to this physical body. Christ eventually died and was buried for three days before rising again and ascending back to heaven. His physical presence is not something that you and I are familiar with, but the Spirit of God, listen, the Spirit of God is given to us forever, to abide with us forever. He's always with us. He's always with us. How's that better? Here's how it's better. Even, Even the disciples would come to realize that. Because there would be times in which maybe they would be away from the Lord during the three and a half years. At that point in time, they're away from the Lord. But what would happen on the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would inhabit their bodies. He'd come to dwell within them. And everywhere they went, he would go with them. And they would find that to be a precious gift. But notice the third thing that he identifies about the Holy Spirit. He says, not only would he continue the ministry that Christ had begun and he will abide with you, and then he says this, number three, the Holy Spirit would be your teacher. Would you skip down to verse 26, but the, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. You know, the human mind is only capable of remembering so much. For three and a half years, Christ had poured into his disciples his truth, but there was still so much more for them to learn and for them to know. Who's going to teach them those things? Who's going to teach them the great doctrines of the church? Who's going to teach them the great doctrines of Christ's second coming? Who's going to teach them the great doctrines of justification and sanctification? Who's going to help them to recall the very words that Jesus Christ spoke? See, in those days, they didn't have stenographers that went everywhere. They didn't have word processors and computers and recorders that could remember every single word that Christ ever spoke. Who's going to help them to remember all of these things? Christ said, don't worry about it. I'm going to send the comforter to you. He's going to teach you all things. And he's going to help you to remember all things that I said unto you. The Holy Spirit would teach them what they did not yet know. And he would remind them of what Christ had previously taught them. I believe this, in many respects, is a direct reference to how God's word was written. For the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake. How did they speak? As they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost would be your teacher. What a gift. What a gift the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God is in our lives. Finally and lastly tonight, number four. Fourth gift, four great gifts. Here it is, number four, the peace of God. Would you look in verse 27? He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Christ's final parting gift was peace. He promised to give them peace, but not the kind of peace that the world offers or the world gives. You know, the peace the world gives is is really circumstantial. 
You can have the world's peace so long as everything is good in your life. As long as the winds aren't blowing too hard, as long as the, the waves aren't too high, then, then, then you're, you're good. You can have that peace. But the moment those things are no longer present, those things are no longer the reality, then the peace the world enjoys is completely abandoned. It is lost. Christ's peace instructs us not to be troubled or to be afraid. Do you not think that the peace of God comes when we, think about this, when we possess and when we meditate on the other three gifts the Lord has given when I start to think about the hope of heaven, and I think about the power that I have in prayer, and I bring things to the Lord, and then I think about the fact that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me, don't you think all three of those things combine to come together to give me the peace of God which passeth all understanding? And that, that, that keeps our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Do you, see, do you see how all of these things kind of work in concert together? I think that's the God's plan. I think that's it's God's idea. Now, here's we conclude tonight. Do you see evidence? Do you see evidence of these gifts in your life? If you're a, follow, if you're a disciple, if you're a believer, I believe that God wants, God wants you to have all four of these in your life abounding. These things that you're focusing on, that you're enjoying, that you're using to help you through this life. Every believer should possess the hope of heaven. Every believer should possess power in prayer. Every believer should enjoy the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And every believer should go through life with the peace of God. Seems like we could use a reminder of these gifts. Believers have become so enamored with this world and its pursuits that we've taken our eyes off of heaven and laying treasure up there. We're quick to complain about the issues we face in life while neglecting the power that is available to us in prayer. Most believers are very, are very unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit. They know very little about Him. They know who he is, but they really don't have an intimate relationship with him so that they could speak to him, so that they could, could take advantage of what he offers to them, so that they could walk in his fullness and in his power and his strength. And can I just say, from my observation, that peace is a missing element in many lives in 2023. And it isn't that these things aren't available to us. Instead, we've allowed the circumstances of this life to be our focus and have lost sight of the peace of God that passes all understanding. Let's determine, let's determine tonight to not just possess these gifts, but to utilize them as they were intended. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment.